0: Hi, I'm Emily Williams, the founder of the top success and personal development company for driven women called I Heart My Life. I grew my company from $442 to seven figures in my first 18 months, and since then, it's become a movement for women who know they're meant for something big and refuse to settle. At I Heart My Life, we operate with the belief that anything is possible and no dream is too big. We're all about combining business strategy, deep mindset work, high performance practices, money tips, and a whole lot of lifestyle to help you get the results you deserve in all areas of life. Because after all, we only get this one shot. This is your one-stop shop for all things inspiration. So grab your favorite drink and a pen and a notebook and get ready to be inspired. Oh, and if you're not a member of our community, go to IHeartMyLife.com join and receive all of our emails and announcements. And while you're at it, copy and paste this episode link and share it with three friends. Now on to the episode. Hey, it's Emily Williams, the founder of I Heart My Life, and your host of the I Heart My Life show. This is episode 221. How to honor your desires in work, love, and life with Alexandra Stockwell. So Alexandra is an incredibly special woman. She's someone I met a little over a month ago at a brunch, and I was immediately drawn to her and her work that she does with couples. Today's conversation is one of complete honesty, where Alexandra takes us back to her own transformation and realization that she was meant to do something bigger, something different, something more with her life, and how she took the steps to not only transform herself from the inside out, to begin on the journey to becoming an entrepreneur and business owner and helping other people transform their lives as well. I know you're gonna love the conversation. Go ahead and get your notebook and favorite pen and let's dive in. This episode is sponsored by I Heart My Life Day. This is a virtual workshop designed to support you in creating a life that you love, one that's better than your dreams and fulfills you in every area. We cover topics like health, relationships, spirituality, business and career, money, mindset, all the key components that you need to create a life that's better than your dreams and transform your reality. We bring together the world's best teachers and experts to support you in every area of life. We also bring together an incredible community of like-minded women brought together to support you in going to the next level in every area of your life. We've curated this incredible experience to be the workshop that you've been looking for to support you in uncovering your purpose, living life to the fullest, creating your best health, transforming your mindset and moving past fear and limiting beliefs, having healthy relationships, going to the next level in your business or career. Literally no stone is left unturned. We are here for you in every area of your life so that you too can say that you've created a life that's better than your dreams. So go to IHeartMyLifeDay.com to find out more and join us on the next I Heart My Life Day. Welcome to the show, Alexandra. I'm so excited to have this time with you and learn more about your work as well as your
1: incredible success story. I'm so honored to be here. I think I watched your show first Could it have been three or four years ago? How long has it been going? Yeah, about three years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think I watched some of your early episodes. And at the time I was like, ooh, I wonder what context would be created so I would get to have a conversation with you. And here we are. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Oh, it's my honor. So we met about a month ago in person officially. And I just love your energy. And I love that the way that you show up in the world and this just enthusiasm mixed with confidence that you have. So I wanted to make sure that my listeners get to know you and just feel all of that energy that I was attracted to.
1: Thank you. That feels wonderful to hear. And as you know, that is an intention that is an inside out kind of situation. And there were many years where I don't think anyone telling the truth would have described me that way. Well,
0: let's talk about that. Will you take us back and let us know what the backstory looks like? What is the story behind the success? What brought you here today? Yeah, absolutely.
1: I maybe in conversation with you, I'll do something which I don't usually do. But I have like three different backstories. And so I bring the one which is most suitable. But I think for your audience A combination of all three will be, they are all equally true. If I just share one, I'm not misrepresenting myself. So the first one, which is the easiest um, to share, is that I'm a physician. I worked hard in high school. I worked hard in college. I didn't go straight to medical school because I had never really been sick and I didn't have much illness in my family and so I wanted to be sure before I committed to this path that it wasn't just empty idealism and so I became a phlebotomist. I worked in a hospital drawing blood and it meant I had one-on-one interactions with patients and I was really able to participate in the um, hospital culture in a meaningful way and so then I went to medical school and I did residency training I uh the first week of medical school at the end of the orientation week, I met my husband and we got married during medical school and I had one child in medical school and one just before my internship. So I was very focused. I don't know that I would have identified myself as ambitious at the time because I was just doing what I needed to be doing. But the fact that I was doing that much, I obviously was very ambitious and I got to my Early mid-30s, I had my own medical practice north of Boston. I was in a devoted marriage. We had three of our four children. We have four children now, but we had three at the time. I had paid off my medical school loans, which felt kind of miraculous to me. And the point is that I thought, well, this is everything I focused on. I should feel delighted. I should feel gratified. This is what I worked for. I have arrived. And I anticipated being enthusiastic about continuing to do so for another four decades. But that's not how I felt. I've been asked, was I burnt out? Because burnout is a big phenomenon among physicians. And I wasn't burnt out. I was listening to the level of a whisper. I wasn't depressed. I wasn't frustrated. I just knew I wasn't lit up and I had worked this hard and it didn't in that moment feel worth it. So I took a sabbatical and I actually knew in my heart that I wasn't going to go back and I told my husband, but that I couldn't tell anyone else. It just was so intense and I went on a journey. So that's one piece and I'll just lay it there. The other thing that happened around this time is that my daughter turned nine, and she, she's my oldest, was this wonderful, feminine, smart, expressed, grounded, joy-filled creature. I just adored her so much, and on her ninth birthday, I was so happy to behold that this is how she was at nine years, like she made it a good way through childhood and just been as delicious as she was when she was born, just more and more expressed and cultivated. And simultaneously, inside, I was completely freaking out. Nobody knew I was the queen of masking it, but I felt. Devastated inside because I thought of myself at nine, which was the age my parents were when they divorced. And in seeing my daughter so full of life and like wholesome pleasure and delight and focused, all the things. I realized that through the pain of my own childhood experiences at that age that I had disconnected from what I think of as a very feminine part of myself, a part where the birds and the butterflies make me smile, and I do serious math problems, and it's like the air I'm breathing is beautiful. And seeing her that way, I knew two things. One is that I had disconnected from a part of myself. And even though my life looked pretty good, I really missed that. And my life was incomplete and I hadn't realized it. And the other thing, which was actually the biggest motivation in all of this, is that knowing what I know about child development, I knew that if my daughter lived with me, another nine years until she was 18 and left for college. There was no way that she'd be able to maintain this because it would have been too much of my just more neutral to-do list. I smiled, I laughed, I wasn't depressed, but I was just so toned down in my self-expression that it would have been an antidote to her native path. And so I just knew I had better get it together and reconnect and find myself so that there would be some years of her in my home where she saw this modeled. And And did you know that you were, you were toned down by
0: comparing yourself to that nine-year-old girl you once were, or what told you that you were the toned down version?
1: there was something that functioned like a mirror in witnessing her joy celebrating her ninth birthday. And I knew it was like I was looking in, I I was seeing something in the mirror and I knew it should have been my reflection or a version of my reflection, but instead it wasn't. It was like I was looking at something beautiful in the mirror, but I knew that I was, if I'm using these terms, ugly. I, I, it wasn't about ugly, it wasn't about body image. It was just that I, I realized it was like, oh my gosh, since I, w- I, w- I was in my mid thirties, since I was nine years old, I haven't used salt in anything I've cooked. That was the kind of thing. I, I didn't have that language. It was much more of a visceral awareness Mm -hmm. With enough concept to realize, oh, this is devastating and this is my invitation. And nobody knew what was happening. I I consider that um, a matter of grace that I'm able to learn very deep lessons without a lot of drama around me. I, I took it in as though it was a very big event and I changed my life in response to that awareness. So what was the first thing that you did to change your life? Well, it was around the same time as what I described as my medical practice. And so one thing I did is I, I somehow, once I had the concept, I was already a good portion of the way there. It's, it's, you know, when with any change, the first thing is awareness. And for me, awareness takes me very far. It doesn't lead to paralysis. And so once I had the awareness Courage wasn't that far behind, and the main thing that I knew at that moment was that I wanted to be and do things differently than I had. That was about the level of clarity I had, which can sound pretty small, but was actually massive. And that's why I was systematic, and I dialed down my practice and went on a sabbatical, Because that was doing something new. And then in that sabbatical, it's not that I had loads of hours to just spend at the spa. I had three children. I had a household to run. I was married. I had various other projects. But my working hours were now available. And I don't think this is literally the case. But existentially, it felt like for the first time, I gave myself permission to do things because I felt like it. Not because it was going to help me achieve some particular skill or develop something in myself, because I was very personally personal growth-oriented. Not because it was going to... Yeah, it, I stopped making decisions based on smart strategy. There had been nothing wrong with my strategies, but it was time to let go of the strategies. And so... I went and sat by the river. I didn't have something I was going to journal about. I wasn't sketching the trees. I didn't have a problem I was I just went and sat by the river. And I took a dance class. I went to the School of Womanly Arts in New York. I bought lip gloss. I I just really hadn't put attention on these things and It wasn't for any purpose. What I'm really saying, if I dial way back, is that I was in the process of developing a brand new, tender, and very cautious and nourishing relationship with my feelings and my desires. Because goals to me feel completely different than desires. Goals are really following the strategy, but desires just arising within, without explanation, without a manual, these are things I would have dismissed. And I learned to realize I actually had them in me, and then to even honor them. That's so beautiful. Before we get to the next part
0: of the story, I'm curious to know, was there something that happened Um, In addition to, or maybe this was it, when your parents got divorced when you were nine years old, was there something there that caused you to disconnect from desire and be more goal oriented? Or what was it that set you on that path?
1: That is a very insightful question. And I can feel the depth of your experience such that you ask it. And the answer is yes. Yes. There are two things. One is that, um, my parents had fought a lot and I remember begging them to stop fighting and then they did stop fighting and things were very peaceful for, I don't know exactly, but I, let's just say a year. And there's a way in which I'd been concerned about my family and then I just relaxed. I thought things were good. Now in hindsight, I know. But the reason the fighting stopped, the reason everything became peaceful is because they'd made a plan to get divorced. And so the tensions just eased. But I didn't know any of that. I thought we were back to happy times. And so when I was told that they were getting divorced, I was completely blindsided. It was totally unexpected. And my experience existentially was less suffering from the divorce and more that i had had no idea and so i think a certain amount of carefreeness was shed and i became controlling now i was a very i was very good at being controlling people didn't feel controlled i was very discreet i never really became well maybe with my own children but in general i wasn't dominating i don't think people would have without very refined perception called me controlling but i had my feelers out i was always tracking everything in the room in relationships i i kind of expanded my attention to be a a bit more like a spider web and i wasn't looking to catch flies but as my mother used to say years later i don't like surprises and it's not because i don't like delight But something in me had it be that surprises were dangerous. So that's one piece. And the other piece is that this I actually really uncovered much more recently. But I think that because I had been so proactive in begging my parents to stop fighting and feeling like my desire had produced something great, and then discovering that my desire and my expressing my desire had created something that I never wanted. And let's be clear. I'm 53 now. I don't wish my parents stayed together. Like none of that is how this lives, but these were formative experiences at the time. And I think it, it like in a, in a very disruptive way had me not honor desires. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, so this then brought me to what well, I think there's so many reasons not to have children. There are so many reasons to have children. And one of the reasons to have children is that every time one of my children gets to an age that was particularly formative for me or my husband, things, things open up and we get another chance at viscerally accessing them. In fact, I want to tell a story about this because I I think it's um, when my daughter was six, things in my marriage started to feel really weird. And it was confusing to me because I knew what it felt like when we had a disagreement, when we had disconnection, when there was something tangible or intangible that was kind of making things sticky. And we're But I couldn't put my finger on it. And as I've just described, I'm somebody who's always tracking the energies. And there wasn't much that would have gotten by me, but I, I couldn't quite comprehend what was happening. And it was shortly after my mother had died, and I was seeing a therapist. And I mentioned this to her. And this was an amazing therapist who said, how old was your husband when his parents got divorced? And sure enough, Josephine, my daughter, was six, and Rod, my husband, was six when his parents got divorced. And I went home and told him this. And instantly everything between the two of us was normal and harmonious again. And he went on a whole journey and faced what he needed to face because he just couldn't have imagined being as Josephine was and going through that. So that was his journey that I don't want to say more about. But this is one of the things that happens, where we revisit things that otherwise might not come find us.
0: Wow, thank you for sharing that. That's so powerful. And it's such a reminder to really tune in to the energetics and what's going on for you and, and to really, you know, trust that if something feels off, there's something there to explore, and to just be open to.
1: Yes. I want to like underline and highlight that because actually almost everything that I've shared with you so far, there are things that I could have easily ignored. There are things that I could have just turned away from and likely would have blown up with more drama. But I noticed this with my husband and I trusted it and I happened to have someone to ask and I noticed this with my daughter and I took action and I noticed this in my practice. And I guess I do kind of believe that when we don't listen to the smaller volume communications of our life, that things get louder when there's something we need to hear. Definitely.
0: In my book, I talk about the little whispers as well, because there was no rational reason for me to move to another country. I know
1: it's one of the most <laughs> intriguing things among the whole collection about you.
0: Right? It makes no sense when you think about it. But I just knew and then obviously met my husband James a year later online. And um it's so powerful. And we have this internal GPS. And yet so many of us are not listening, we're not paying attention, or we're ignoring and pushing it away. So I'm curious to know, after you started to tune in, and you took the sabbatical, and you took the time, what happened next?
1: Well, it, it was a process of learning to listen to my intuition, I will say that. And I actually got some training in doing that. And it became instead of scary, almost like fun research, when I would get some sense of something that typically didn't make sense. Otherwise, I would be talking about it as intuition. And it became really fun to play with like, oh, maybe I'll go right, when I would usually go left and both ways both were good routes to drive home and what I want to say is that and, and I believe this with any kind of skill or any new state of being that it's easy to get attached to the bigger stuff and I really think it's fun to play with small things where the impact is relatively irrelevant to develop trust to develop skill it's like playing scales I was a serious uh, viola player when I was younger. And I always thought of it as playing the scale so that when the concerto mattered, I could do that. So I went about this and this was the context for, I just thought, oh, I'd like to take a dance class, great. And um, my husband, someone sent him an email. This was when email was relatively new, but anyway, someone sent him an email about the Millionaire Mind Intensive with Peak Potentials and T. Harvecker And he forwarded to me and said, we don't want to do this, right? And I responded, yes, we definitely do. And we went. And things like that where I just didn't require an explanation for myself, knowing that anything I was doing was not dangerous and it wasn't going to play with our money or our children's welfare. And I became fond of it. And I started to say things in conversations that I hadn't said before. And to my surprise, it always led to something really good. Okay. So that's what What were you saying? Um, let me think of an example. So I might be listening. I'm I'm making this up because I I don't have a specific example in mind, but I might've been listening to somebody talk about, um, their garden, let's just say. And it made me think of the Scarlet Letter, Nathaniel Hawthorne's book, The Scarlet Letter. No direct connection. The kind of thing that I previously would have thought it would be rude or weird or just like just like a total changing channels. But if it occurred to me, I trusted that it was worth saying something. And so Initially, I would say, you know, I have something odd to say. Are you okay? And the person would be like, yes. And then as I got more comfortable, I'd be like, you know, and and then I got to where I just would say the thing I was thinking that to me seemed completely irrelevant. And again and again, when I would say it, she would then, let's say, talking about her garden and I mentioned something from the Scarlet Letter, she would then be so moved because somehow this was very relevant in her life. Is that specific enough?
0: I love that example. Yeah. And it's just that developing that level of trust with your intuition. And I'm curious to know, you said that you had training and trusting your intuition. What was
1: that like? Well, Ooh, you're very good let me think if i want to answer that question okay i will but i have never said this in public so enjoy the gift. uh i i knew a father of one of my children's classmates and he apparently was clairvoyant throughout his childhood so Christmas at his house was no fun for his parents because he always knew what was in the presents even though they were wrapped under the tree and he was kind of nasty about it and would ruin everything. But he talked about having a clairvoyant teacher where he was learning how to use his gifts in a good way and have it not be for destructive purposes. And I was very intrigued by that And so I became a student of this teacher as well. And I went to clairvoyant training, which I have to say my experience was mostly of her giving me permission. I did learn a number of very specific techniques related to my intuition and um, giving words to things that I would see and experience but most of all it was permission to like remove the camouflage and just see and connect with the experience I was already having and so while I went to clairvoyance school it's not like other kinds of school where I would go and like I didn't know how to read, and then I learned to read. And I didn't know how to do algebra, and I learned to do algebra. And I didn't know how to write a paper, and I learned to write a paper. This wasn't an experience like that where I didn't know how to. The, all of the muscles in the in the neck and in gross anatomy, I learned them with clairvoyant school. It was much more of a pulling away of shoulds, and so it really was. Um, A journey in authenticity.
0: Wow, what an incredible lesson to learn. That's like the best, that's the best education. I was just thinking as you were speaking, I had a conversation with a potential client earlier, and she is excited about moving forward with one of our programs. And she said, I need to run this by one of my friends. And I was like, Oh, isn't that so interesting that there's a lack of trust there with yourself and your inner knowing? And, you know, one of the best things that I've ever learned through trial and error is to trust myself and to give myself that permission. So I think that's amazing that that's what you were able to to move towards.
1: Yes. And I think being in the presence of other people doing that is one of the most helpful things. Like we both know that phrase about Uh, Your your net worth is the um, the average of the five people you spend the most time with, and that can be used in a lot of different contexts. And obviously, this isn't researched. I'm you know making up on the spot, but I think that that is also true when it comes to authenticity. Mm -hmm. And so, I sure hope that this person joins your program because I know that this is how you move through the world, and. Yeah, it's it's less that it's taught and more that it's absorbed through modeling and osmosis.
0: Yeah, beautiful. So you went to the conference, I assume. The Millionaire Mind. Oh yes, I did. I did. (laughs) I love that. You know, that's one of my favorite topics. So, (laughs) what door started opening as you started trusting your intuition, and how did that lead you to the work that you do today?
1: Well. Let me say that I felt urgency in going because, as I mentioned earlier, my mother had died and my grandfather, um, his inheritance didn't pass to her, it passed 50% to me and 50% to my brother. And I knew that it was going to dramatically change my financial circumstances and I was overwhelmed and scared. And even though I went to the millionaire mine, that like it opened my understanding, but I still was scared. And in fact, having never had any credit card debt, no debt besides educational loans, which we had paid off and a mortgage within 18 months of having inherited a significant amount of money from my grandfather, we were, $298,000 $298,000 in personal debt on credit cards. So I understood the purpose of the millionaire mind intensive, and I could say a bunch of rah-rah things about it, but being really honest and authentic, it's more that it just showed me all the stuff that I still needed to work on. And the reason, and that included following, uh, spiritual teacher who was very significant for my husband and me who turned out to be a con artist and is currently in federal prison in relation to things we had on our honestly put on our tax returns and there were just many, many, many things that happened. So I think one of the things that happened when my intuition opened up where I connected and embraced it is my life became so much more interesting and dynamic. And I accessed a much broader range of emotions and broader range of my humanity. And I also just was less attached to the way things were supposed to be. And all of these different things converged such that we moved, having lived on the East Coast, been north of Boston for a long time, we moved to rural Kansas. Um, How did you make that decision? Well, we needed we were clear we needed to change something we were very impacted by the real estate situation in 2008 and then as i said we invested with the spiritual teacher they were just like yeah and and the the environmental protection agency changed the laws and so we need suddenly we needed to spend fifty thousand dollars on a new septic system like it was this whole perfect storm convergence of mindset societal and all kinds of different things and we knew it was time for a change and doctors do not make the same amount throughout the united states it is very much based on supply and demand and we were in the boston area where there is a large supply and a lesser demand and it's actually in the middle of the country in rural areas where family doctors are paid more and my husband who had always been paid on the low end of the bell curve of compensation for family doctors and is an outstanding physician. he just thought why shouldn't I be compensated at the higher end and so we almost moved to Kasabu Alaska which is 200 miles east of Russia and you can you can't get there by boat in the winter. I don't know if climate change is changing this but because the sea is frozen, But then the recruiter really misrepresented things. And so we didn't go. And we ended up in rural southwest Kansas, three miles north of Oklahoma. And I thought we would be there for five years with a higher salary, lower cost of living, and my really being focused on handling our debt. So I thought it would take about five years of living very carefully. And actually, it just took two to pay down that debt and create all kinds of magic and miracles. And through getting out of this debt, I accessed a lot of power. We were about a month before needing to declare bankruptcy. And I I accessed things inside myself and made things happen that didn't make any logical sense. And so I guess what I would say is that Yes, I connected with intuition as a way of knowing things as we've talked about, but during this time of financial stress, I was able to tap into not just the receptive perceptive knowing, but also to use my intuition intuition in a much more proactive, engaged, dynamic, results creating way. And so this is all going on, and we've chosen to have a fourth child. And the thing that pretty much happens 100% of the time when a baby is born is that the erotic connection, the sexual chemistry, there is a disconnect that happens with a couple and, and then they find their way back, hopefully. But I didn't want to have that dip. Because we finally had time with one another and had really been able to learn to enjoy ourselves. And I did not want to like go three steps backwards with the arrival of another child who was very much planned. And so I I made it a project to figure out how to sustain the yumminess. And I don't actually recall like how long from when our son was born to when we actually had penetrative sex, but that's not important. We totally sustained. There was never a disruption in the erotic energy between us anticipating and after that birth. And so once I had accessed what I felt like were the golden keys to juiciness and passion. And we then moved to the San Francisco Bay area. We didn't stay in rural Kansas once we had turned our finances around. And I um, took a training for even more in-depth learning around sensuality and sexuality. And it happened to double as a coach training and I'm an MD I didn't, this was 2012 now. I didn't know what a coach was and it wasn't interesting to me. I went and did this training for my own benefit. But once I was there, I was like, well, let me check out the teaching lab just so I know what's happening here. And when I went to that lab, I just knew I had come home and I have been doing love and intimacy coaching ever since.
0: Wow. Thank you for sharing that story. There's a few things I want to pull out of there. So first (laughs) and foremost, I'm really curious to know what were the things that you did to transform your finances in just two years? You said you accessed some power. So can you give us an example of what you did?
1: Yeah, there were three aspects to it. One is that I got really clear on what we needed and what I had thought we needed, but we didn't need. And because we had worked so hard, 60, 70, 80, 90, sometimes a hundred hours a week as physicians, there's a way in which it was easy to think, well, you know, I deserve this. And it's not, I, I never had like a closet full of shoes, but our home was nicer than made sense for our budget, things like that. And so I got really clear on the essence of what was important and was able to see that frills are frills. And then I can enjoy frills, but that's not what I was going to be spending our money on. That's one thing that was a relatively easy thing to do. The next thing I did was I realized I didn't have any relevant education. And so I started reading things. I am not uh, follower of Dave Ramsey in a church sense at all, but I really liked his basic principles of the order in which to pay things off and to realize what you owe and what can you sell. And there was a, a kind of creativity that I got from reading his stuff. And also one thing I really learned from Dave Ramsey is how we know about compounding interest. We know when things are going well the compounding effects but there's also both a literal financial and energetic compounding effect in getting out of debt and so i got really clear okay 298000 i hadn't actually realized it was that much at the time and i i watched it titrate down like when we went from 298 to 295 I let myself feel that that was progress. I didn't get carried away with the remaining 295000 I let myself, I wasn't irresponsible about it, but I really let myself feel, okay, worth $3,000 closer. And the more that I did that, it kind of took on a life of its own and really progressed. So there was just the being really clear about spending according to our Current values and needs. There was just the practical education and learning where to put my attention. So I wasn't, you know, putting my head in the sand about what we still owed, but I also wasn't putting my head in the sand about every penny of progress. And then the third thing is that people talk about this all the time, but it really is the truth that I just made a decision. And one of the ways in which this played out is, as I mentioned, we needed to put in a new septic system. And we had already moved from Massachusetts to Kansas, and we needed our house to sell. We'd settled on a price, and it would have closed in November, except it was both a change in the Environmental Protection Agency laws, and it turned out that the person who had examined the septic system when we bought the house had falsified it, And he was responsible for five years, and we were like five years and one month out. And so there was no recourse there. And we needed a new septic system, which was fine. We found someone, part of our $298,000 in debt included paying $50,000 for the new septic system. And then it was one of the worst winters in Massachusetts in a really long time. And you can't put a new septic system in into frozen ground. And so the guy was very clear it wasn't going to happen. But I needed it to happen. It was completely non-negotiable. And so here I am on the phone in Kansas. And here's this guy with his backhoe and he's clear, like there's no way to do it. And I don't—I actually don't know how, but it was totally exhilarating. And it 100% came from having decided there was no way that this was not going to happen and I think the only time in his long career putting in septic systems he put a septic system in in frozen ground and what he didn't do was the landscaping that comes afterwards because that was impossible and so I think it did look a little bit like a uh, construction zone but the septic system passed and we closed on the house and they did whatever landscaping they wanted to do. It, it wasn't my issue anymore. And that was the most dramatic thing. But I had a few other things where I just was clear. I had no idea how. But from the inside out, I was certain that it had to work. And this sounds a little woo, but my experience was that if I just kept fueling my conviction with my energy and my creative juices, it would work itself out. I did I, I'm a very good logistical manager and keeping track of 20 patients and their different medications and diagnoses and tests. I didn't use any of those skills. I just stayed stayed rooted in the unswerving conviction and I just fueled it in the way that I've described.
0: Yeah, that word uh, decide means to cut off. So I always think about that, you know, you're cutting off any alternative scenario or option, and just holding firm with your faith and your belief.
1: Yes. And the thing I would add is that it had to do with my identity. It wasn't that I believed it had to, the septic system had to go in. Uh, there were a lot of things that it wasn't what it was, but what it was is that I am someone who is going to have success with this. And so it felt actually more like a self-knowledge than the way that people talk about manifestation. It was more like, this is who I am that is the thing that was decided before but I'm redeciding. There is no equivocation this is who I am it was it was about the state of being yeah. and as being who I am this has to go through hmm. yeah, because if it doesn't I'm not who I am and I am who I am
0: yeah that That's was how a really important distinction yeah thank you Can you tell us a little bit about your work today and how you help people?
1: Yes. Well, I will say that one of the things that I really love about my work is that all of my experiences, financial, relationship, frustrations with sex, just like all of it. It's not that I've drawn on it, but all of it has a purpose because when I coach people, I share my stories and that is usually one of the, not the only, but one of the really helpful things. So I am a luxury love and intimacy mentor. I do work with individuals, but I mostly now work with couples, and I specialize in showing couples how to have beautiful, passionate relationships. And I am devoted to completely changing the cultural narrative around long-term relationships being where passion eventually just peter's out. I I love my well, I myself have been married for 25 years and I love my stories. I have a woman in my Facebook group who's been married for 53 years and she said she and her husband have always had good sexual chemistry and they've recently had the most amazing sexual awakening. And of course, it's not just about sex. And I guess the thing that I would add is that Mammals learn through imitation and we are mammals. And I think one of the biggest challenges that isn't true is becoming a great entrepreneur or a great basketball player or any of these other things. But when it comes to relationships, we have such a lack of role models. And so I'm really devoted to both being a role model, I share so much more than I ever used to in service of that. And my podcast, The Marriage Podcast, I'm so excited to be interviewing you and James soon. I share stories of couples who have amazing relationships. So I guess I took a little bit of a detour with your question because the thing I also want to say is that having a fantastic relationship is a completely learnable skill And I have a very systematic, recipe-like way of teaching it that often surprises people because it is, of course, a lot of intuition, but it also really is very concrete, implementable ways of doing things. And
0: I love what you just shared around, you know, your success story with your client in the Facebook group, because like you said, we learn through the role models that we have. And even those stories of possibility, I assume she's in her 70s or 80s, to think that you can have a sexual awakening at that point in life. That's incredible. And, you know, most of us, we're not inside the bedroom with somebody. And so we don't see what's going on. So those stories are so impactful for us to know what's possible.
1: Yes, Exactly. And, and actually, anyone is welcome to join my Facebook group. It's called The Intimate Marriage. And there's a, a woman in there who's been married for 50 years who shared that her orgasms are getting better and better and better. And I don't just hear that. I say, oh, well, how? Like the questions you're asking me today. And her answers are just so beautiful about giving herself more permission to experience pleasure and to ask for what she wants. She has a willing partner. And I guess I want to say that, yes, I definitely coach people on making what's happening in the bedroom juicy and delicious. But my experience with committed couples is that in a way they don't, typically appreciate at first is that the stickiness is when it comes to the emotional intimacy. That when a couple learns to be vulnerable, to speak the truth, to hear the truth and feel the response, but not take it personally, that when the energies really can flow and communication flourish in the realm of emotional intimacy, 80% of the time, the sensual erotic intimacy just follows without any additional attention. And that's very different than a one night stand. You can have amazing erotic, passionate sex without knowing the person's name. But when you're in a long term relationship, emotional intimacy is essential to have any kind of passion and gratification. And it opens up enjoying all other relationships as well, of course. Mm, Thank you for sharing that.
0: So can you give us one final tip or a step that people could take to start to enter this journey and learn more about the emotional side as well as the physical side with their partner?
1: Yes, absolutely. So this is so simple. And anybody watching, if you do it, you will create results. And that is to be curious. To be curious both about your own experience, but what I'm talking about right now is to be curious about your partner. Because one of the wonderful things about a long-term committed relationship is that you do know one another. You know what he's likely to order. You know what movies he likes. You know what countries, you know, if he likes the mountains or the beaches. Like there's something really comforting and bonding about knowing one another so well. However, the problem is when you stop being open and fresh and asking questions. In fact, if you think of the experience of being alive, uh, being in love, it's just flooded with curiosity and questions like, oh, what, who did he take to the high school dance? And what was his first car? And... I wonder where he'd like to live when he retires and how does he like to be touched and is he gonna like it when I moan out loud or is it gonna be better if I'm quieter? Like we just have all of these questions and I think one of the most efficient and most gratifying ways to up the emotional connection is to bring back the curiosity. So don't ask something you don't actually want to hear the answer to, but questions like, um, what are you most proud of in your life these days? Or if you could be president of any country, which one would it be and what policies would you implement? If you could have dinner with a celebrity alive or dead, who would it be and what would you ask them? if you could change one thing in our lives with no negative consequences at all what would it be just the the questions can be whimsical playful they can be profound they can be tell me a sexual fantasy you've never shared before i wouldn't start with that one if that's not <laughs> part of your communication repertoire Right. And, and this is the thing that's so beautiful about curiosity. It can be really gentle mm-hmm. or it can be confronting, but there's no reason to start that way. And this is something that applies in the most fantastic relationship and in a time when things are tougher. Um, I've seen so many times with longstanding arguments where each person tends to stake out their position and it can feel like an impasse and be so frustrating. And one of the best ways to just dissolve that impasse is to ask a question and you can ask your partner, um, well, what do you love about riding a motorcycle when you've been against it? And that doesn't mean that you're approving or changing anything that is important to you. It just means that you're prioritizing the person and the connection and taking the opportunity to get to know him better. You don't sacrifice anything by being interested. Love it.
0: So final question for you today, we ask all of our guests, what is one way that our listeners can, can create a life that's better than their
1: dreams? Let me take a second. It's a beautiful question. One way to create a life that is better than your dreams is to always prioritize your self-expression, which is going to be built on self-knowledge. So no matter what circumstance you're in, to honor your own experience and allow it to be a context for creativity.
0: Thank you. I love asking this question. Everyone always has a different answer. Beautiful. Where
1: can people find you online? Well, my website is alexandrastockwell.com. Anyone is welcome to join my Facebook group, The Intimate Marriage and Alexandra Stockwell. I'm easily found on Facebook and Instagram. I am on LinkedIn and Twitter, but I don't do anything there. So if you want to connect with me, find me on Instagram or Facebook. And anyone is welcome to just send me a DM. I like these are topics that I love and I'm happy to have a conversation if anyone's inspired.
0: Mm, Thank you. Well, I'm definitely inspired. Thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing your story. I love how all the different components have come together. And it's so beautiful to see you being fully yourself and experiencing your desires and flowing and just all of it. It's so beautiful to witness.
1: I'm so grateful, Emily. And for the way you have your attention, both broad and specific, makes for such an interesting conversation. I'm so grateful. Same. Thank you, Alexandra. Thank you.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of the I Heart My Life show. Now do us a favor and tell people about this episode. It's truly our duty to make sure that the I Heart My Life movement is spread far and wide. The truth is life can be challenging, but it is possible for all women to love themselves and their lives. And while you're at it, send a link to this episode to three of your friends today, or maybe even post it on social media. Use the hashtag IHurtMyLifeShow. That's hashtag IHurtMyLifeShow. And if you'd like to help me personally, then please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Give us some stars, cheer us on, and leave a review because believe it or not, that stuff actually really does help. And I read all of them. Please remember everything you desire is meant for you and possible. Keep showing up, taking action, and believing in your dreams.